0: Testing, we are trying to find out if this thing works.
1: Hello everyone, this is Shannon Christensen and I'm here with my parents Max and Pat Hatterley on episode 8 of their uh, personal histories. Let's go ahead and start.
0: I guess we are in the teenage years at this moment for today. <clears throat> As I have already mentioned I had a paper out, actually had multiple paper outs and we've talked about that. But the paper outs came and went a little bit and so someplace approximately about 15 years old I think I was 15 because I think Uncle Lloyd was about 16 or something on that order. During the summertime, for whatever reason, I didn't have the paper out anymore. I can't remember what Uncle Lloyd was doing. But our bishop, Bishop Don Rigby, came to us one day in our house. And I'm pretty sure he spoke to our parents along with us, although I cannot remember that, but I'm sure he did and asked us if we would be willing to come and work for him. Because I don't know who had been working for him before, That he was a farmer and he was a big farmer. I mean, he had two farms. One was out west of Snowville, Utah, which is west of Tremonton. How far west of Tremont is Snowville? 20 miles or 25 or something. Then he had another farm, which is kind of the base place where he actually sort of lived in a place called Bancroft, Idaho, which I had never heard of at that moment. Anyway, to our young kid's mind, this was just beyond, at least to mine. I I can't remember what Uncle Lloyd thought about anything. But this was just so unbelievable because he had big machinery and everything was just so wonderful, we thought. Anyway, we were sort of farm, farm boys and he wanted somebody that could think on the job. Anyway, long story short, we signed up for it and he was paying what to us what to me was an unbelievable amount of money a dollar and 50 cents an hour and so we went to work and the first day we worked which i'm assuming was the probably the first day after school let out so it had to be the end of may at least. And we got in his pickup at about six o'clock in the morning. And I remember that even because he had brand new everything. He drove Cadillacs and I mean, new Cadillacs. He bought one, drove it for a year or two, traded it off and bought another brand new Cadillac. And his pickup was a pickup that isn't even built anymore. A brand that was international. Brand new international pickup, two-wheel drive. Nobody had ever heard of four-wheel drive pickups in those days. And he put the two of us, and he and his father, Moses, everybody called him Mose, who at the time was someplace between 75 and 80 years old. And he had, I think I've already mentioned this someplace before, But anyway, his right hand had been amputated, or or he'd had no right hand. Anyway, so there was four of us in this pickup. Nobody'd ever heard of crew cab or extended cab pickups. That was way in the future. So it was just a standard, regular pickup. Us four people were in that, and we drove from Logan. Out to the west fields of past Snowville, absolutely out into the middle of nowhere. I mean, there was not another human being probably within 10 miles of us. We, after we left the little store area of Snowville, it, it is actually a little town out there, which is on the freeway now, but we would turn left as we were headed towards Boise somewhere right there on a graveled road and drive for miles and finally came to a building which was his shop uh, out there. I mean, it was out in the middle of nowhere. And by the way, got to back up just because I'm going to forget this if I don't tell you. This trip, which we made out, and then we came home, left to come home at 7 o'clock at night. So we left in the morning, got out there, and our goal was to be there by 7 o'clock, and I think we made it. The trip uh, after we got from Logan to Tremont, which I think most everybody knows that road, but from Tremonton on was just a regular road. I don't think there was such a thing as a freeway out there then. In fact, I don't think there was any freeways anywhere. No Free freeways were in the future, too. So it was just a regular two-lane highway, but we traveled it at 80 miles an hour. Um, I remember that. We traveled at 80 miles an hour everywhere we went in that pickup. And as time went on over the summertime, we all drove, including me. I had a driver's license, and so I was driving to This International Pickup was brand new. It had zero luxuries on it because no pickups had luxuries. Power steering and a radio, I think, were the two luxuries that came on any vehicle. And so it had a standard transmission and a radio and a heater. That was what it had. And I drove 80 miles an hour too. Everybody drove 80 miles an hour. And it wasn't hard to do it after the first few days, especially coming home. Anyway, so back to the original story. Now we're going out there. Each day, Uncle Lloyd and I would be taken to our piece of machinery, whatever it was we were doing. So in the springtime, in the very beginning, he put took me, I'm going to say he took me first, it may not have been the case, it might have been Uncle Lloyd first, but he took me out to my tractor which was a D6 cat it was a huge tractor to me I mean I I'd been on tractors my whole life and he put me on this cat and it had a cab air conditioning was way in the future too But it did have a swamp cooler on it, which I found out about swamp coolers now at this early part of my life. And we would get the tractor started, check the oil and do what we had to do, get the tractor started. And whatever was behind it, uh, I'm going to guess I had a disc behind it at that moment because this was in the spring. And we're preparing the earth for planting. So I had a disc, and it was a huge disc. Uh, Everything was huge out there. It was just the desert, absolutely the desert. Dry farm ground. That's all since changed. But anyway, so the machinery behind this tractor was, I mean, on our farm in Freedom, we had a 12-foot disc offset disc, which was the best, biggest disc in Freedom when we bought it. And it also weighed about three and a half ton and took our big tractor to pull that disc. Several people borrowed it and there was a couple people that c- couldn't even pull the disc without putting it in the ground, much less putting it in the ground. But anyway, this was not a 12-foot disc. It was a 45-foot disc. So it had this huge tractor in front of it and as soon as it was started and everything looked like it was okay bishop rigby and mose and uncle lloyd got in the pickup and left and that was the last human being i saw till seven o'clock that night when they showed back up to pick me up and that's why he wanted farm boys because if anything went wrong you fixed it there was no phones no anything no two-way radios nothing and anyway I was still that first day oh my crummy it was so exciting and they left got in the pickup and I watched it drive away this farm was big enough that wherever they went I had no clue I couldn't see them there was you couldn't there was no human beings period I didn't even see any jackrabbits I mean there was nothing it was me and that tractor and disc and we had, they had a fuel tank on a trailer, so we had fueled it up, and we had gone to the building first, hooked onto the fuel tank, and then they would drag it around to each machine, with, to fuel it up with diesel fuel. Then I got on the tractor and went out there, and oh, I thought I was absolutely in heaven, absolutely, for about a half an hour. And this tractor was big enough. It had enough horsepower that... And I think it had a five-speed gear grinder transmission in it, which didn't bother me in the slightest. I knew how to run all that stuff. And it would pull this disc in third gear or something. I mean, it wasn't first. It was third or maybe even fourth. Whatever it was... The tractor was moving fast enough, and if you've ever been on a cat, on a tracked tractor, and it's moving fairly fast, the clat, the clattering of the tracks. I mean, it's a steel clattering sound. But I was in this cab, not a nice, what do they call it? John Deere called it a sound guard body, but... By the time nineteen seventy, when did the forty-three or forty-four thirties or come out? Middle about seventy-two-ish. So another three or four or five years from now, or six or seven, they would come out with with uh, cabs on farm machinery that were sound. Um, just I don't. Yeah, they. Took out much of the sound of outside, but this was before that. So the clattering of the tracks was always there. And I would turn on that swamp cooler and the seat on this tractor was um, probably two and a half to three feet wide. I mean, it was huge. Definitely not comfortable, but I mean, it was a huge seat which wasn't long before I put to use. And anyway, it was only about an hour, a half hour, hour, two hours maximum into this experience when I realized I was out in the middle of absolutely nowhere on this planet. And I had a tractor that was just constantly clattering, Mm -hmm. The, the constant clatter of the tracks. And they were fast because we were going pretty pretty good clip. I wish I could figure out how to make that sound with with my mouth so you could know what a sound of a cat's clattering tracks sound like. But it's a metallic, nonstop. uh, The only word I can think of is clattering. It's like trying to describe salt. I just don't know how to describe it. And this relatively cool air from the swamp cooler blowing on me. And pretty soon my mind woke up and I realized I was not in heaven like I thought I was. In fact, I thought I'd gone the other way. And I was, had only been there one day for one or two hours. And so I started to add my money that I was making. I mean, I was just doing anything to use my mind, and and, and cats don't have steering wheels on them. I mean, they're a little bit like swathers that have sticks, steering steering sticks, and so with a 45-foot disc on, and you're absolutely out in the middle of nowhere. The field I was doing was one or 200 acres or something, and Nobody in sight. And so I literally was doing nothing. I mean, it would travel for one or two or three minutes without even touching a stick to, to just adjust the steering just slightly. And so I had the air blowing on me, the clattering of the tracks, and pretty soon I got tired of sitting. So I literally laid across this um, seat with what my head on the armrest of one and it was big enough that I could pretty much lay across it. Pretty soon I was asleep. The clattering of the tracks just you can't even believe what your brain does when you hear the exact same sound. And in high motion. Just kind of like that, just in the cool air blowing on me. It wasn't good cool air. It wasn't air conditioning air. It was swamp cooler air, which is always dusty because it's just water cooling it, and pretty soon the water starts warming. And so it wasn't cool even after a little while, and this was torture. And I can't even tell you how many times I woke up probably two minutes later or four minutes or something. And we were just slightly off course, which just terrified me. Seven o'clock came a few months later. And then the next day came. And the next day after that, and the next day after that. And it was the most terrible summer i could ever possibly imagine but anyway we did this summer after summer and of course this was i wasn't always on this cat sometimes we were drilling after a few after we got the field prepared we were drilling and we would load the drill everything by hand and five gallon buckets i think most of you kids actually helped do that one guy was on the drill the other guy was in the back of the truck he had trucks too. We didn't use the pickup. He had much machinery. All of it in good shape. Well, all of it pretty new. And I don't know how much story about this farming operation with Bishop Brickby I should tell. Back to Bishop Rigby, just a couple of things in Snowville area. One is when we were loading the drills um, for some reason Mose Rigby that's Bishop's dad and i I remember loading the drills and there was two of us that had to do that and <clears throat> for a 75 to nearly 80-year-old guy with no hand on his right shoulder. This guy was unbelievable. I mean, he was tougher than nails. I was, I thought, a pretty tough 15-year-old kid. And I thought he was going to kill me. And don't get me wrong, he was the coolest guy on the planet. I'm going to talk in just a minute about Bishop. Which I'm gonna start referring to him as Don. But Mose was one of the neatest people I had ever met in my entire life. And he was sensitive to what was going on. So you're down, I'm down on the drill taking his buckets, and we have two buckets. He's he's scooping up with one, I'm dumping with the other, and swap back and forth. He's like a bucket for great. And both of them are killers. So whichever arm you're using to do the dumping, pretty soon I can't even feel it anymore because it is so numb. And so you change. And I went over to the other side so I could change arms. And he's doing the same thing up there. And oh my crime, he was one tough guy. Oh my good night. Or I would be up in the truck. And he'd be dumping, and you're scooping the arm that's scooping underneath pretty soon. You can't feel it anymore. It's so numb and so tired that you can't even move it. So you turn around and use your left arm. And anyway, I've never forgotten that because this very, what I thought was an old guy back in those days, was just tougher than nails, but the neatest guy. And if things really got bad and you weren't, my pride was in my way. Oh, man, man, I'm telling you, my pride was in my way. I didn't want to think that an 80-year-old guy could outwork me like crazy, but he could. And once in a while, I finally had to say, is it, can we stop for a minute? Sure, he was just as cool as my really cool guy about it. But I can tell you, loading a 45-foot drill is not funny folks. It is horrible. It wasn't too long after we quit working for them that they finally came up with or somebody came up with the these truck augers, which we had one do later on. So all you had to do was push a button and drive along and it would fill it up. But we did it the other way for a while. Well, that was pretty much Snowville. After we got the crops in in Snowville, then we made the migration to Bancroft. And so we were all driving down the road, no freeways, and I haven't, I can't remember how we got there. I just can't remember how you get there from Snowville. Go over to Tremonton. I'm going to guess, area, and there must have been a road... Was Highway 89 or Highway 89 went from Brigham down to Salt Lake? It must have gone north too, up to Pocatello. I'm sure it did. And so there we were driving all this machinery with trucks and combines. And well, we didn't drive the combine then because Snowville was going to be ready. But anyway, we took all this stuff up there, at least the tractors, maybe had equipment up there. I cannot remember now. But when we got to to Bancroft, now we didn't go up on a daily basis. We went up on Monday morning early and moved up there for the week because he had a home up there, and it was not a nice home, but it was a home. And Uncle Lloyd and I slept together, and Bishop Don and Mose were in some other room someplace. And we would do the same thing there. We operated the machinery for whatever we were doing during the day. And then we'd come in at night. And there was a, a uh, cafe in Bancroft, which I don't know if it's still there or not now. But there was a cafe there. I think there was only one. And every single night we ate at the cafe. We didn't eat anywhere in Snowville. We just came home, getting home about 8 o'clock at night. Back to Snowville for a second, and we would go have a shower, and my mother would feed us supper, and we would drop into bed, and that was our life all summer long until we went to Bancroft. Then we would go to the um, cafe, we would watch Don order, and whatever he ordered, we ordered because we didn't dare do anything else and then and we said nothing it was a conversationless eating because by this time we had very much learned to fear don he was a different person in the church house than he was on the farm oh my crime and he was he a different person he was the most terrible tyrant you have ever seen in your life and the most foul-mouthed person I ever heard in my life. I, I nearly fainted when I heard how, especially if he got mad, and he got mad easy. His fuse was so short, you can't even believe it. Moe's, on the other hand, was this wonderful guy. And thank goodness he was there because as soon as Don was out of earshot, then we would start talking to Moe's and he would console us. And he was our mother up there and we could talk to mose and he was became one of my best friends in the whole world just absolutely don on the other hand um was so terrible in every way shape and form you can't even believe it and so this evening meal at the cafe was dead silent except for maybe a couple of words that mose and don said to each other i don't remember they said much to each other either Then when we'd go home to the house, Uncle Lloyd and I had a shower and went to bed. Uh, If he had a bathroom in his bedroom area, which he may have done, I certainly would have never dared ask. But otherwise, he never had a shower ever. And at the end of the week, even though Uncle Lloyd and I had had a shower every single night, our sheets looked like... uh, I, I just can't even describe it. They were they weren't off white anymore. They were looked like they'd been drugged through the dirt. I mean, they were they were horrible. And I cannot remember what the laundry program was. We certainly never did any. I don't know if he took off the laundry sheets and took them home so his wife could wash them in Logan or not. I, I have no idea. But anyway, the next morning, each morning, we would get up and I never I will never forget. We were sound asleep, we were absolutely exhausted because once again it was seven in the morning till seven at night. Although in Bancroft we were not absolutely out in the middle of nowhere. there was humanity around. and not very close. Somehow or other he would take us out into these huge fields. And we would not see too much, but off in the distance, we could see humanity. So it was a little different there. But it was way worse in every other respect because we not only worked for him, we lived with him. And he had a big shop. He had much farm equipment up there. That that was the base of operations without question. Anyway, he would come in in the morning at six o'clock and say, and I've never forgotten it, jump right up and he would leave the room and it wasn't that you would roll over in bed because your mom had just said, let's get out of bed. Oh, I don't want to get up. I'm going to sleep for just a few more minutes. Ten minutes later, mom comes back in the bedroom. You've got to get up or you're going to be late for school. No. When he said, jump right up, you were up, because he would kill you. And we went out, got our clothes on, went out, and he already had the eggs frying. We each got two eggs, which I'm going to ta- now talk about eggs, and two pieces of toast or whatever. One, I don't know what it was. But after about two weeks, I took Mose off to the side one day and asked him if there was any way we could put salt and pepper on the eggs. He didn't salt and pepper his eggs. And I I really liked eggs the way my mom cooked them. The way he cooked them, I just had to gag them down. That's all there was to it. But if you didn't want to starve to death, you gagged them down. And Mose, he was just this cool guy, but I was too scared to ask anybody anything. He said, absolutely. He says, I'll get you some salt and pepper. He said, you have to salt your own eggs. Oh. For the next two or three years, at least I had salted eggs. Then we would go over and quickly, by the cupboard that was there, make our sandwiches. We each got one sandwich or whatever it was. I was starving to death. After a couple of weeks, I asked Moe's if we could have another sandwich. Absolutely. You can have what you need. Uh, You don't dare ask Don anything. We didn't talk to Don. never talked to Don. I can't remember ever saying one word to Don, ever, because we were so scared to death of him. Anyway, and then we would take our packed lunches and go out. Anyway, this went on the entire time I worked for him too. But we'd go out and get on our machinery, and away we'd go. (sighs) But one little example I remember of his niceness to us, Don, I was out in his big shop. It was a big building and big Quonset, I think, shop, <clears throat> concrete floor. And I happened to be, I don't know if this was in the morning or evening or maybe it was during the day and we were harvesting and no, had to be in, been early in the, in the summer of the first year, so I don't know what we were doing, probably disking or something, but at that moment I happened to be in the shop doing whatever, I don't know what I was doing, but he happened to come in the shop too, and and I wasn't really doing anything right that second, which he noticed. What are you doing, Max? Uh, not too much right this second. Don't you ever just stand around here you always do something. You're always in motion. You fill grease guns, which we did by hand. I mean, everything was done by hand. I knew how to fill a grease guns or, or do something. Man, I filled a lot of grease guns after that. I'll tell you, I filled the grease guns a lot over the next two or three years. But you did not ever look like you were doing nothing around Don. He was unquestionably the most terrible tyrant I have ever seen in my life. I've never seen anything before it, never seen anything since it. Can't even comprehend how he kept hired men around. I just can't even comprehend it. But I, the fact that he came and asked us to work for him, I guess, meant that whoever was before us had gotten their belly full of it. But anyway, it was it was horrible. And his language was so terrible that I just can't even describe it to you. But I just I'm gonna describe two other little things here and then I'll get off the subject of Don Rigby. Oh, by the way, he was a wonderful bishop. He was he was just wonderful. Absolutely. I loved him on Sunday. Anyway. It was about the second or third year that both of us worked for him. Let's see, if Uncle Lloyd was 16, he went on his mission 19, it would be probably a couple, three years. And we were in Bancroft, and it was fall, and we were harvesting grain. And I, he had Uncle Lloyd on the combine. He had two or three combines, probably two. Massive Ferguson 410s. They were brand-new combines, huge in my They were nothing compared to what we have now, but back in those days. And Bancroft, for whatever has got what we call sinkholes, just out in the middle of fields, all over everywhere, all of a sudden you would have these sinkholes. And these combines were not hillside combines. Anyway and I was driving truck. So I was running truck. He was on one combine. I can't remember what Mos was doing. He might've been driving trucks too, I don't know. Anyway, and so we would just keep the combines running by pulling over when when it was time to unload. There was no such thing as grain carts, which they have now. And of course, nobody had two-way radios or cell phones or anything else. So we kept our eyeballs on And you jolly well did not let a combine sit. Not either one of them. I mean, when that combine stopped because it was full of grain, and you could see the bins, so you could see the grain on top of it, you had better be within 20 feet of it ready to dump if you wanted to live through the day. So we never went to sleep in the truck, or we never were doing anything wrong, Uh, He did not treat Moe's too good either, I can tell you. But he was his dad, and he, I I don't know. I'm not going to get into that. It was just a different situation. But anyway, one day, Uncle Lloyd, I was at his combine, and he had his spout over my truck dumping, and he said, quick, get in here. This was Uncle Lloyd. He's 16, or he was probably 17 or 18, probably 18 by now. I was probably 17. He's just jumping here really quick, and we were on the downhill side, which meant the truck was in the way from where Don was on the other car. We were both in the same field. We were all in the same field. <clears throat> so we could see each other, which was really scary. Anyway, we didn't want him, and Uncle Lloyd didn't want him either seeing me get out of my truck and get into the combine to have a conversation with him you, you just didn't do anything anything that looked slightly funny in any way shape or form you didn't do it but the truck was in the way so he couldn't see us so he says jump in here real quick so i jumped in there and he said let me show you how to run this combine just in case he ever has you run one of these combines because he never trained you to anything don didn't train anything to anybody that's why he wanted farm boys so he could put me on that cat i don't remember them saying one single thing to me about that cat i just learned how to just jumped in and figure out how to do whatever it was and anyway same story in the combine so he sh- showed me the controls on the combine for 30 seconds or 45 seconds because that's how long we had before the bin was going to be empty and bishop and don he could be seeing, he could see that combine dumping grain into that ground into that truck and when the auger was empty mean you can see that and i had better be on the way within 12 seconds or i'm going to be dead mate anyway hunk lloyd knew that we both knew what was going on we talked to each other real quietly at night in our bedroom together we never saw each other during the day It was only about uh, two or three weeks later, or I mean two or three days later, that something happened. I don't know what it was. And Uncle Lloyd got asked to go do something. Max, jump in that combine and take off. So now I was on the combine, which I now knew how to run. Anyway, one other quick story. Uncle Lloyd got too close when he was circling the the, uh, sinkhole one day. And he tipped the combine over. And he he felt it coming. And the stairs, the ladder up to the combine cab were on the upside of it. So when he felt the, the wheel starting to come off the ground, he did the only thing he could do. And that was he ran out and jumped as hard as he possibly could away from the combine just as it went over the top and landed on its top. Then he did the other thing that I probably would have done too, but he was smart enough to do it, and that was to go over to the highway, which wasn't too far away, and he thumbed a ride to Logan. Are you serious? I think. He just left? I'm pretty sure he did. Maybe I, I don't know. I, honestly, I can't remember. If he didn't do it, he should have. But anyway, this was not a good day in the history of the world. Anyway, I, mean, I guess he didn't go to Logan because I don't know where he went. I can't remember seeing him anymore that day. He did. I don't know if he did go to Logan. It almost seems like he did. I'd, I'd, I'd have to ask him. But he left someplace, and anyway, because he knew he was going to die anyway, he'd just as well die someplace else. Anyway, oh man! <laughs> I talk about Armageddon. It it was holy moly's. Anyway, and I can't remember if Uncle Lloyd was there any time during the day or even the rest of the week. I I just can't remember now. Nah, but whatever it was, it was so terrible. You just can't even believe it. But I'll tell you one thing that did give me a little bit of a shot in the arm. I heard through the grapevine later on, a few days later, that his wife, Virginia, his first wife was Daisy, but his second wife was Virginia, and that was the one we knew, had really ripped him up for how he had treated Uncle Lloyd. I mean, she really tore into him because obviously they got back together again somewhere and might have been in, in one hour, might have been a half an hour. I don't know. I can't remember the circumstances that happened. I wasn't there, but it was an unholy deal. But anyway, that was a that was an experience Uncle Lloyd has to talk about because I don't I wasn't there. And there was one other thing I was gonna remember to say, which I have now forgotten. Oh, Nope, oh, I just remembered it. One of those times when we came home on Sunday, Saturday afternoon, and it was fairly early. I don't know why we weren't harvesting. It just wasn't in a major crop season. So we came home fairly early, and it was like 4 or 5 o'clock in the afternoon, and it was just so wonderful. I just couldn't even believe it. <clears throat> and Moses, this was several two or three years later now, so he had literally become one of my just dear friends. And Don had become enemy number one in this world to both Uncle Lloyd and I. Anyway, Mose asked me, I don't know if it was that day or maybe it was earlier in the week when we were together one day, told me that he was buying a new car and he was flying to Detroit to get it. And it was an, a Chrysler Imperial, which was the highest dollar car you could buy in America, practically. I mean, not a Mercedes or the European cars, but Chrysler had their Imperials. Cadillac was General Motors and Lincoln was the Ford Motor, the high luxury cars. Anyway, he was going to buy him a new Imperial and he was going to go to Detroit and get it off the assembly line and drive it home. And he asked me to go with him. He wanted me to go with him and help him drive home his new Imperial. It was the most unbelievable thing. I, could. I i just couldn't even believe it. I mean, I was into cars, folks. It's what I lived for. I should have been living for girls, but I was into cars. Sort of knew girls were around, but not much. And I pondered that request. I mean, he was paying all expenses. He was going to fly us out there. We were going to stay in hotels on the way home and it was just a gesture that was beyond anything I could possibly imagine. And I couldn't imagine it. I turned it down. After thinking about it for a few days, I realized that somebody of my magnitude couldn't. I just couldn't do it. And it would have been fun to be with him. He was the funnest guy. Just funnest, neatest guy. Several times when we would come home on, Saturday afternoons, he'd pull out his wallet and grab a $20 bill, which was a lot of money in those days, and hand it to me in here. He'd say, here, take this and go out, have some fun tonight. He, he was just this cool guy that just almost brings tears to my eyes to think about him just so opposite Don. I never took the money either because I knew I wasn't going to go out and have fun. I was going to go home, have a shower, and go to bed, and I didn't care what time of day it was. That's what I did. Now, Mom asked one question, which I need to get to before I shut this thing down. This is way too long. She asked what my dad did while Uncle Lloyd and I, which were his help, out on our farm, dead. And what he did was gathered up a bunch of city slicker boys from the priest quorum in the Logan First Ward where we lived, where Bishop Don Rigby was the bishop, two or three or four of them and hauled them to freedom and they lived with him for a week. This would be during haying season. I don't have a clue what he did the rest of the time during the haying season, and back in those days, we did all haying by hand. He had a 24T John Deere baler, and then after it baled the hay, while well, you went out and by hand hauled all hay with the wagon and tractors. So he hauled all these kids out there to do that, and to say the least, it was a disaster. These kids most of the time didn't make it two or three hours into a hay hauling experience before they were goners and it was horrible and if I remember right I actually was out there with them once and was watching this performance and I don't know how my parents lived through us it was just everything was so horrible anyway to finish off the Don Rigby deal the last year that I remember anything about it, was after I'd come home from the mission field and Moe's, not Don, called me one day in freedom. We were out there and begged, Uncle Lloyd was, I don't know where Uncle Lloyd was, but he begged me to come back and work for him for the summer. I wasn't stupid anymore. Anyway, I stayed on the farm, our farm. Wasn't getting paid, wasn't getting anything. I didn't care. I wanted to be around somebody besides Moe's. Moe's loved everybody. But we were all done. Uncle Brian went and worked for Don one or two years, I think, someplace along the way, maybe while I was in the mission field, probably.
1: class they both played violin one day he got up the nerve to try to reel her in he asked her would you like to see my fancy set of wheels she said yes and that was that soon they became something real then one night on a hill overlooking town He took her hand and said to her as he knelt upon the ground, Let's make some music all through our lives. Some simple music all through our lives. There's a melody I feel when I'm with you. So let's join together forever. And she smiled and said, yes, let's do. Let's make some music all through our lives. Some simple music all through our lives. There's a harmony I feel when I'm with you. So let's join together forever, no matter what we do. Then they began to speculate what the future might hold. They said, maybe we'll have a lot of kids and raise them somewhere cold maybe they'll learn piano and we'll live on a farm and we'll try to teach them right from wrong and keep them safe from harm and maybe we'll have our share of trials but maybe it'll all work out maybe we'll live in a few good small towns as we learn what life's about and maybe we'll make music all through our lives some simple music all through our lives there's a melody i feel when i'm with you so let's join together forever no matter what we do yes let's make music all through our lives some simple music all through our lives there's a harmony I feel that I'm with you so let's join together forever no matter what we do the music of love the music of hope of faith and joy maybe we don't know everything maybe we'll just enjoy that we're making music all through our lives some simple music all through our lives and maybe in 50 years we'll be gathered near and far And our kids will honor us and give thanks to us for teaching them that life's not so hard with music all through our lives. Some simple music all through our lives. And now that it's been 50 years, we can see it all came true. So glad I feel this melody and harmony. Whenever